Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and this is Positive and Negative, a podcast about the intersectionality between mental health and the arts. Today on the program, I speak with Anthony Missiano, an actor, writer, and creative person all around. He recently completed his first run of his one-man show, I Squeezed Really Hard. Here he is talking about how to reckon with past trauma. Find a way for you to talk about it. That's all it is. Because that's what I did. I found a way to talk mm-hmm. about it. By talking about it, it forces you to face it and think about it. And when you think about something that you haven't thought about in 20 years, you'll probably think about it in different ways that you didn't then. Because you're older now. Mm-hmm. And that might help you. So just talk about it, whether it's in therapy or not. You can support this program by going to patreon.com slash Tristan J. Miller for extended interviews from all of these episodes. The theme song is To Be or Nah off the album Leaping with Intent to Fly by Billy Conahan. You can find that at Bandcamp, iTunes, or wherever fine music is sold. All right, let's get to this interview. So you, you know, I have the privilege of knowing how you got into all of this that you're doing because I've seen the show that, you know, uh, you Mm. just put on. But you were born in California. That's true. That is true. In Nasty City. What's if I was actually? famous, I could say, ah, oh, you've read my Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> I make that joke, but I'm not famous. So you've what learned. What if we make each other's Wikipedias? Because I wish I knew how. Oh, I, I can show you how real I would have made mine, and it would be glorious. <laughs> they only, they can track you, like your username. I, otherwise, mm. I would have made mine already. I yeah, like yeah. started to, and they're like, so listen. Like, sir. Yeah. Please. Listen. But you're from Nasty City. That's where I remember. What's it actually called? Yeah, National City uh, in California. And I was there until I was about 11. And then we moved to uh, East County, San Diego. And the town in particular I was in was Spring Valley. Okay. Which has a lovely name. And it's an okay area. It's not terrible. Yeah. Um, Hot. So you moved because it's... It, you had a bit of a tumultuous time in National City, shall we mm-hmm, say. Mm-hmm. Like, what was that like growing up, though? Um, you know, for me, it it wasn't all too bad. I think I maintained a level of obliviousness. Mm. But also, you know, when you're a kid, all you know is all you know. So I never had a basis of comparison. And a generally kind of, kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a happy demeanor, because that makes me sound and happy sound, that makes me sound developmentally stunted it's not that i just i was always really good at entertaining myself yeah and i was an only child and uh you know dad worked all the time and mom uh often you know went out and hung out with friends and things like that and so i was often left to myself and so i was always good at at, at entertaining myself and keeping myself busy and i would draw all day long i was always drawing and and doing whatever or playing pretend like kids do, but kind of by myself. Mm. And so I think I was able to keep myself distracted from a lot of sort of the the neighborhood around me, which, you know, wasn't in the best place. You know, crime rates were very, very high in the area and all that. Um, and so it all sort of happened around me, but not so much to me. I, okay. I was kind of lucky in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So immediately art became like a form of escapism yeah i suppose so yeah 
Um, Thank you, doctor. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> this is going to cost me a fortune. Yeah, see the copay for this podcast, my God. Um, so, but then you moved because your parents split up, right? Yeah, my parents split up. Uh, my mom and I moved in with, with someone else she was with for a while there, and it didn't go great. And then my mom and my grandmother, my grandmother was still living in National City, and so were we, but in a different part of it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my grandmother had been saving up for a while, and she and my mom basically went house hunting and found a um, a place in a mobile home park, but a nice mm-hmm. place, and a nice mobile home park for the most part, in East County, San Diego. Uh, and we all moved there. It was m- me, my mom, uh, my grandparents, her parents, and... Uh, their son, my uncle, her brother, because that's how families work. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, we all lived there. And actually, that was pretty decent um, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. And that's when around the time you started doing theater, right? Uh, I started doing theater at the beginning of high school when I was 14. That was mm-hmm. when I first did it. I have a vague, blurry memory of being in some sort of play at an elementary school and going up on stage and saying some words, but like it is such a vague memory. It did mm. not have an impact on my life whatsoever. So I don't even know if it happened. <laughs> sure. Um. Um, you started doing theater when you were 14. Mm-hmm. And when did it click that you're like, oh no, this is the good stuff? Oh, right away. Yeah. Right away, I just knew, like, oh, this is it. This is it for me. It felt good. Um, people liked what I was doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you you start feeding an only child approval, you know, because it's not. And, and yeah. you might think, well, that's that's weird. Only children get lots of approval because they're the only people to approve. Sure. But um, I, don't, I didn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, yeah, just uh, just approval and positive affirmations. And also, um, I just felt like I was doing something right. It just felt right. Mm-hmm. Um I really enjoyed it. I loved being able to go up there and emote, as silly as that sounds. I don't yeah. know how to put it, but like the art of performing and, and, and playing a character and going through emotional beats of a scene and trying to bring them to life and make them real. I really enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, it wasn't. And it wasn't until like into adulthood that I realized, oh, I can create stuff and Mm -hmm. that's you know also a good experience i never even thought about that i was so busy thinking well no i'll just be a vessel Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah so that was when vessel started vessel started at 14 (laughs) at 14 and that was around the time that your your mother was taken away and put in prison yeah yeah she was uh she was arrested when i was 13. that's the word yeah she <laughs> what is that thing i said like they... taken away like she you... was taken away in uh, shackles yeah and hosed out <laughs> um probably i don't know yeah but uh, she was arrested when i was 13 okay and uh and and all that and uh yeah so she and that also lent itself to i think part of how theater came into my life and had such an impact is because when she was when she left my life essentially um theater came into it and also my theater teacher who was a kind of a motherly figure came mm-hmm. into my life at the same time and I think ended up filling that void in part and she's an amazing teacher I'm still friends with her mm-hmm. very close with her um her name is Julie Benitez and she uh, is just an incredible theater teacher she was somebody who and probably still is who was she could be you know, uh, supportive 
and and caring and all of that when that's what you needed. But at the same time, she wouldn't put up with self-pity or any mm, of that. Bull- mm-hmm. And she would call you on your bullshit if you were bullshitting. She would call you on it. She she wouldn't, you know, uh, stand for any of that. And um, and it was amazing um, what she did with, with her students and what she continues to do and, and inspires people really well. She's great. She's so passionate about it, which is, I mean, what makes any great teacher in any subject. I had a great world history teacher, you know, who, mm-hmm. you know, for a brief period, I was like, maybe I should study world history like as a career. Mm-hmm. But just because he was just so passionate about it, you know. Yeah. Was it hard adjusting to not having your mom around? Uh, you know, I'm sure it was, but I think I think kids, you know what it is? People always say kids are so resilient. And I think that's true. And I think that the adults that those resilient kids then turn into, you know, have some problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think that's what it, I think kids are resilient because they, they just you just keep trucking along and yeah. just doing whatever you do each day. And I mean, as a kid, you also have the benefit of, you know, school is a great distraction, mm-hmm. whether or not you're doing well in it or you're distracted by other people at the school instead of the schoolwork itself. Still, you have, you know, this nine hours a day or something that you're just being bombarded with either social or, or school logical Thank you. Um, <laughs> educational. Educational uh, distractions. So I think, I don't know, kids are great at just plowing along, but that isn't to say that, of course, then when you're an adult, you don't go, oh, I have all these scars and baggage and it's from this period when I was a child and you don't realize it until later. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, uh, I, yeah, I wonder, I wonder why that is. I wonder why, because it's, I'm not alone in that. You yeah. Know? I wonder why that is that, Things that go wrong when you're a kid do impact you for the rest of your life or can, but they don't necessarily show their symptoms for like a decade, you know yeah. what I mean, for a yeah. while. That's interesting. So so I think I was, honestly, at the time, I think I was fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have major abandonment issues. Not not so much now, but say um, eight or nine years ago, yeah, pretty bad. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm married now and I've been with the same... Um, uh, we've only been married for a short bit, but, you know, my, my partner, Alyssa, and I, she and I, we've been together for almost 10 years. Oh, wow. And at the beginning, um, my abandonment issues were much more on the surface, much mm-hmm. more obvious, you know. Uh, just just the, the quick to an emotional reaction if we were walking around Penn Station and, and getting frustrated at each other and trying to figure out which way to go and whatever. You know, just mm-hmm. just the littlest things that would trigger it, you know, and... Then, of course, reflecting back on it later, going, oh, I think I have some abandonment mm-hmm. issues. And then, you know, I can't think of any other stories, but just a lot of times it shows its face and you go, OK, yeah, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. So it's not so bad now. And uh, I credit a lot of that, I think, just to having been in a very healthy long term relationship, which, you know, obviously when I was a child, a lot of the relationships I had got torn and fucked up. So, mm-hmm. Um, this has been helpful. (laughs) That makes sense. I'm very fortunate. A lot of people aren't in Mm -hmm. a healthy long-term relationship that that seems to last, and I'm very, very lucky that uh, I stumbled upon her and she liked me back. Mm -hmm. How'd you meet? Um, Oh, it's so silly. It was on Facebook, and it wasn't by choice. It was this happenstance sort of thing where 
I was, I had a friend who was in a, you know, kind of popular local band and, um, this, I was brand new to Facebook, so I didn't understand how it worked. And so some <laughs> photo popped up in my feed of him and this girl who just went and saw a show, but you know, was giving him a hug afterwards. And, po- and there's a photo posted yeah. of him and this girl hugging him, whatever, and smiling at the camera and him smiling politely at the camera. And <laughs> I just thought she was gorgeous. Oh my God, the eyes, her eyes and her smile. And I was just like, oh. And I made some cheesy comment like, um, like, John, you always get the stunners. Maybe I should learn how to sing and play guitar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was sort of it. And then a little while later, I get a little notification that says this person, Alyssa, likes this comment. I'm like, Alyssa, who the hell's that? I'm just curious. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, it's her. And then my brain just, because I'm, you know, in my 20s, my brain just went, eh, open invitation. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I then send her a message, hey, and, um, and we start chatting. And at first, we don't have any chemistry at all. It's a horrible chat. I think she's terribly rude. And, and, and I'm just like, all right, well, anyway, hey, sorry to bug you. Have a great night. Bye. Yeah. Um, and the next day, she messages me. And I think kind of is like apologizing for kind of being kind of rude and short with me. I'm like, uh, that's all right. What's up? You know, mm-hmm. and I'm not too keen because I'm like, I don't know this. She seems prudish and I don't I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm not being I wasn't being like a creep or a horn dog. Or anything. I was just chit chatting. But um, yeah, still, you meet someone you're not sure. I wasn't vibing with. And I was like, I don't know. Nah. And. And it's going well, the second chat. It's going a little better. It's still a little awkward. It feels a little stunted. And this is back in a world where people made phone calls. Yeah. This is when you called everyone to talk to them. You didn't text them first, necessarily. You, you called them a lot of times. And, uh, you know, Facebook was newer to the mass public. And so this is also back when, because Facebook didn't have uh, 9 billion people on it, people had their phone numbers often listed with their profile. Yes, yes. I remember that. And her phone number was listed, and I just thought, you know what? I'm much better talking than I am typing. Uh-huh. I'll give her a call. And so in the midst of the chat, I call her up. Oh, my gosh. And and she answers. And she's like, hi. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, this is um, this is Tony, the guy you, you're chatting with on Facebook. Hi. Hey. How you doing? Okay. Yeah, I just you know I figured it'd be easier to just talk than you know than than the typing. I don't know. It just seems kind of awkward just typing everything out. And I thought maybe we could just chat. Is that okay? Yeah. So, so very shortly that phone call ends, and um, and of course if she's here with me telling the story, she always says stranger danger. You know that was yeah, her yeah, thought yeah. and her fear. I'm like okay, I get that now. Um, absolutely. And so and so yeah and so then. Um, then we, I, I still think like this, we have no chemistry after that phone call. I'm like, okay, this is terrible. I've got to stop talking to this person, <laughs> but we decide to meet up, um, for coffee at like 2 PM, like in a couple of days or the next day or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, in my brain, I figure, okay, I'm going to go and you know, it, it's not, there's nothing's going to happen. Worst case scenario, I have coffee with a pretty girl for 20 minutes, and I'm like, well, you know, it's nice meeting you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Yeah. And so we meet up at 2 p.m. for coffee, and 
at like three, two or three a.m. She really needs to go home. So <laughs> um, I drive her home. But mm-hmm. we just hit it off right away. Like in person, the chemistry mm-hmm. was boundless, and the chat and the conversation was endless. And we just we just talked and talked and talked and talked, and you know, left the coffee shop, walked down to the beach because it was kind of near the beach where we met up and walked up and down the beach and talked and then walked over to like an antique mall type thing or a bunch of antique stores and looked around, sat on furniture, talked, whatever. Um, I think at some point went and had dinner, maybe went to a movie and kept talking and hanging out, hung out in my car and just looked over the water and chalked for a bit. And then, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was just like, great. And then that was, that was in March of 2012. And then April we made it kind of like official Mm -hmm. and uh, been together ever since. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So that helped <laughs> a lot. Did you also do any, like, have you done any therapy? I any? should, shouldn't I? Well. I've not. No? No. What? Why not? Um, It's funny. My inner monologue is saying all the answers. and I'm just filtering it out. No, well, that, that'd be why. <laughs> it went, fear. <laughs> um, and I'm like, no, be quiet. Hang on. What's the real reason? Fear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all it's saying. Tell me more about S- fear. What is this? Fia, you speak. Um, Fia is from Italy, and no, it's... It's a new yeah. model of car. I mean, there is a tiny part of it that is also uh, cost, you know, afraid of, like, well, what would it cost? Mm. But, I mean, that's a bullshit excuse. Even if you are broke, it's a bullshit excuse. There's always, there's ways. Um, and there's there's affordable means now to do that, you know, through some newer methods and online stuff. So I, I guess fear is part of it. Um, another part is, this is stupid, but this is, I know I'm not alone in this. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing that I've heard a lot of performers or comedians talk about, which is I wonder if it'll ruin my humor, my, my whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's dumb. Because if you're funny, it doesn't matter if you. Because you were funny before you were fucked up. You're fucked up just influenced the style of the delivery of the funny. Yeah, the funny is born. It's like musical rhythm. It's like you have rhythm. You can't teach rhythm. I think funny is you have funny. You you can can, get better at it, but of course, any any a natural athlete is better if they've been training. Yeah, absolutely. But they're still a natural athlete, and I'm not a natural athlete. (laughs) You know, and all the training won't get me there. I always, whenever anyone brings that concept up, I'm like, I understand and respect it. I felt that way for many years. But I, ironically, David Lynch didn't didn't go to therapy because he was like, will this affect my creativity? And the therapist mm-hmm. was like, I, I, it might. I have no idea. Like, mm-hmm. I have no, like, there's only one way to find the out. The therapist isn't a creative person. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, but it might. He, I don't know how that works. But uh, David uh, says this really great thing of like, if you're sick you have a splitting headache and nausea and diarrhea on top of that Mm -hmm. how much work are you going to do and how much are you going to enjoy it and i uh, he applies that with transcendental meditation because that's what he's into Mm -hmm. but i also apply that to mental health in general Mm -hmm. the better you feel the more creative and the more productive you can be however i do respect Avoiding it, and the other thing is this, if your life is fine, if you feel okay emotionally, why open that door 
Yeah, because also it's not if it was a hindrance in my life. It's similar to like you know I quit. I smoked for a few years, like back when I was younger. I smoked for about ten years, and I quit when it did start impacting my just yeah functionality. I was like, okay, this is a problem now. Yes, and the the mental baggage I have it doesn't impede my day to day life and work. At least that I'm aware of. That that is the other thing though of like. You know, I I use the example with medication. Like once I got on it, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I could have been functioning this way for years. Mm-hmm. And it just everything got easier. And so, like, I do recommend it. But obviously, you're a grown person. <laughs> um, but you noticed I did. Yes. The the, head, the legs gave it away. <laughs> um, but they're wha- longer than a child. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I meant. Um, if you can believe it. Why are you afraid of it, though? Like, besides the creativity thing. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's the skeletons in the closet kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some of those that I want to dig out or, or remember. I mean, when I wrote my show... Um, not to pull it back to that, it's not what I'm trying to do. But when I wrote the show, um, even though I always kind of knew, even before I started writing, like what the show would be, like what the story that I was going to tell would be based on, you know, my life, because it's an autobiographical piece of my life. I hadn't thought deeply or remembered deeply any of those moments. Mm-hmm. They had been kind of buried away. Mm-hmm. And every day after writing one piece of it, even though it's like a comedic show largely, um, at the end of like a day of writing a chunk, I would be sobbing because all of these memories got dug up and yeah. brought back to the surface when they had spent so long still stashed away upstairs, but but buried underneath mm-hmm. some boxes and, and covered up and things like that. You know, I knew what they were. The label was still on the box. But once I actually <laughs> opened it up and pulled all the stuff out, it did some damage. And um, and I don't know. It's a painful experience. I don't know how much I want to do that once a week do that every week um but then again i know that it it was a good experience in retrospect because also it helped me come to terms with a lot of that stuff you know Mm -hmm. um like i'm okay with the things that i discuss in my show of course my life is more than just a two-hour show or an hour and 40 minutes or hour and 30 minutes however long it is and you take out how late the audience is every night (laughs) um (laughs) don't get me started yeah. it is what it is new york everyone's yeah. late um i think i think it's honestly it's about an hour and 35 but people are like that's a two-hour show i'm like nah you added to it yep um yeah that's why we put an intermission like, no it was scheduled at seven you left at nine but did it start at seven yeah i'm gonna say no and how long did you all take to pee during intermission mm-hmm. i'm just saying mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> this makes me sound bitter Thank you to everyone who came, by the way. It was, I'm so glad you were there, and I genuinely mean that. Please come back. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, why? It was, it was painful to oh. relive oh, but, those but things. But the fact that uh, I did get past those yeah. stories, like any of those things, I those no longer haunt me. Okay. Because I did have to go through the process of digging them all back up, acting them out, talking about them, and... Yeah. and also, then, for the sake of making them, because a lot of times it's stories, and, you know, for those who haven't seen it, of course, which is anyone who hears this, um, 
you know, it's stories involving members of my family and very often I act them out. And in order for them to not just be two-dimensional, um, I have to then go and do some of the actor work of, well, what are some other ways to approach this line and this moment and what could this character actually be thinking? And it honestly opened me up to being more understanding and more forgiving of these people from my life because I had to think about what would actually motivate them to do this at this time Mm -hmm. instead of just what I experienced myself as a kid, what I saw and what they said to me or what happened to me or something. I had to, as a performer, be them and go, well, to make this performance three-dimensional, I have to find motivation. Why are they doing this? What's the thought process behind this? And it helped me understand them better even even if it even if maybe my perception and what i what i put onto them is is completely false and they're like that's not at all why i did that yeah who knows but it helped me kind of get past a lot of uh negative feelings i harbored toward at least those stories i'm sure there are stories i hadn't dug up that if i talked about now i'd be like well fuck them (laughs) you know but yeah it was a it was a good process so i i accept that therapy would probably be good for me uh i also can assign a lot of blame for not going to just laziness. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Laziness. I have a very full schedule. I'm not sure if I could carve out another couple hours each week. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. Um, yeah. I'm already behind on things and I, you know, mm-hmm. got a lot to do. I understand it. Yeah. I, I understand completely where you're coming from. Um, now your mom has bipolar disorder. Now, am I the only? Now, is this podcast generally a let's convince the guest to get therapy? No, this is just I'm special. Yeah, no, you're fine. <laughs> I like, just met he, you and figured you could really use this. No, 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 not at all. Um, but here's the thing though. Like, I've talked to other people. I'm like, have you done therapy? Would you? Why not? And like, I've had this conversation with. Our most answers very similar. Um, yes, a lot of people are like, it would probably help, but I just it is either frightening or there's a, a cost mm. or there's a time constraint or there's like, <laughs> I've had people go, I, I'm not interested in that. I don't yeah. think I need it. I'll, you know, I'll be Which honest. Like, oh, if, <laughs> if I had um, the financial wares to not have to do other work beyond, let's say like my own yeah. couple things, like, you know, edit, edit a couple little projects that I like and, and then just, you know, eat and do the dishes and work out each day. You know, I would absolutely go, hey, and also each week for two hours, I see this therapist. Yeah. Because I don't have to worry about anything. I would do it, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So, you, know. you just need mode. So when need. the time comes. Yeah. When you're you're ready. That's the other thing. I, I too, truly firmly believe that um, when it comes to these sorts of health issues, you will get the help you need when you need it. Yeah, it will much like the smoking thing. You're you go, oh, no, now is the time. Like yeah. again, for myself with medication, I tried everything else before, yeah. and then I was like, okay, I guess I have to do this, and then that's okay. You know, when I might do it, what might actually motivate me to do it? I was just thinking, is if um, if we ever find out we're gonna have a kid, yeah, I might be like, I want to try to get myself a little more sorted out before I yeah bring this life into the world because I do have fears about that. Sure, as much as I I really want to have a kid, and I am afraid that i'll be a bad father i think just because of my own parentals mm-hmm. understandable <laughs> not doing such a great job yeah 
Uh, Even though I turned out not an asshole. No. So that's nice. Yeah. So, you know, the genes are strong, (laughs) but like, let's make it easier on the kid. A little. Not too much, Much, because then that ends up screwing them the other way. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. These millennials. Um, But... Your your mother has a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Are you ever concerned that that might be shared with you? No, no, no. I, don't, I don't have any of those. I don't think I have any of those symptoms, any of those signs, any of that no. stuff. Whenever I hear about it or people describe it, I'm like, oh no, I don't have that. Okay. Because um, you seem like a very keyed up person. You seem very hyperactive at the very least. Yes, uh, I am hyperactive, and I've always been a little um, a little manic. But I don't know if that's I don't know if that's beyond just some people just have a little more energy. Yeah. You know, because I don't I don't get the other side of it. I never have the deep, dark crashes that last any stretch of. Mm. I get upset if something, you know, blows up in my face like anyone will, like a disappointment of something, whatever. But like it doesn't. It's always external, not internal. Yeah, it's or or even if it's internal. um, Well, what do you mean by external versus internal? External meaning like something has occurred, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, a death in the family or something, sure, and sure. then you get depressed. Whereas like sometimes you just will like, and now I'm sad or like whatever it is. I, There's a lack of energy. I don't generally have those. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, they need a motivation. <laughs> <laughs> you are a true actor that way. Yeah. Um, that's okay. That's interesting um because i generally I, most of the time i hate myself but that's different <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be environmental um but that's because somebody broke my car yeah no, um i don't have a car <laughs> who has a car these days that that makes sense um that's always interesting i find it interesting when people answer one way or the other because generally it kind of well, that's good well you know <laughs> like i find it interesting when people answer one way when they answer the other i'm just like Ugh, uh, get off my couch yeah, no, it's um because it generally i find reveals a certain level of preconceived notions that they have if they're like absolutely not oh that's true whereas like or they go <laughs> yeah you know but there's also there you're very mild-mannered mm, no i don't think so <laughs> well there's also there's very little overlap that i've observed between my mother's personality and my own yeah you're more like your father or uh, well and that's maybe why i fear how i'd be as a father yeah uh, even though we are very different in a lot of ways um i have his short temper mm. and that scares me yes i i can relate i to don't that. get violent uh onto people with mm. it um and I don't even punch walls, even, you know, which is a stereotype guy thing. I don't do that because I've been drawing my whole life, and so I value my hands. <laughs> and that's 100% the reason I that... don't punch walls, is I value my hands because I make art with them. Yes. And so I don't want to hurt them. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't take out my violent aggression much anymore. Getting a pull-up bar was helpful because I'll just do pull-ups to, like, release the physical heat and anger that builds up in me quickly um but yeah what do you get out of making your own art versus being in someone else's piece oh um it's hard to say you know for me being in someone else's piece as a performer i get much more out of it as a performer um, when it's something of my own, the joy that I feel 
much more comes from the joy of like writing or directing or editing or shooting or something, you know, mm -hmm. the, the creative joy you get from that side of it. I don't get as much of the performer thrill um, from doing my own work as I do from someone else's, I think. Mm -hmm. I think because when I'm doing someone else's work, I'm just focused 100% on just performing. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I'm doing something of my own, you know, there's eight different pieces and components yeah. here outside of the performance side of it. And so all of those factor into the overall experience I have and the satisfaction I have too. Yeah. So I don't know if that was an answer. Well, you know, it was. It absolutely was. Um, it was exactly an answer. Okay. Um, you get the thing that you get out differently is the fact that you don't have to worry as much. Yeah. Because I, I will. The every, I know, right? Uh, Hire me. Please. I'm free of concern. I often create my own art because I'm like, well, someone's got to put me in something. <laughs> I mean, I feel the same way. Someone's got to make use of me. Um, I'll say this as well. Like, as someone who produces a fair amount of comedy shows, I'm never worried about how it's going to go. That's mm -hmm. like kind of not in my control, whether mm -hmm. or not the audience responds to what I'm saying. But I'm always concerned with how many people are not going to be on board. Like, I would rather be in a room full of people mm. and no one's on board than two people and no one's on board. Mm -hmm. I'm always concerned about turnout. Mm. And how do you turn off that producer side of your mind when you're performing, like, for example, for an hour and a half to two hours, depending on how long people take? Yes, yeah. Um, I'm actually really good at... I, I've directed things in the past mm -hmm. um, that I'm not in, and I've and I've acted in things, and I'm I'm very fortunate that I think when it's time for me to go on stage, I take the other hats off, mm -hmm. and I just focus on the performance. I really am able to just sort of click those away because I know from past experiences that if I'm thinking too much about all these other things. The performance is going to suck. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to be there. And so I just, I've just learned to accept. I think though a lot of that, the comfort of being able to do that comes from uh, all the lead up to, you know what I mean? Getting all those ducks in a row. It's like pre-production. It's, it's everything you need to do before the cameras start rolling. The more you can make sure they're all done and they're ready and everything's really going to go well, then you can go, okay, We've done all the planning we can do. Now we just got to jump. Yeah. And so doing that, mm -hmm. and I, I do a lot of that. <laughs> I have a very big hand on every part of making sure that, okay, we are set. Now I can start. Are you that way in life too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so, yeah. You're a little anxious and... Yeah. A Boy Scout always prepared. Uh, I I I prepare. I plan a lot. Um, that's why it takes me longer to make meals. It's not the cook time. It's the prep time. It's because I insist on getting everything prepped before I start cooking the first thing. Interesting. Um, if anything needs to be diced, if anything, I get every ingredient prepped and ready to go and measured out and calculated and all that before I even start cooking. And then mm -hmm. I cook it all. Whereas like my wife, for example, when she cooks, she's much better at doing it in a timely fashion, yet still keeping track of calories because she can just go, okay, now we're at this. We still need another this and this. Uh, oh, hey, let's get some of this. Let's throw some of this in there. I can't do that. Cause I'm like, but, but 
but you're grabbing this now, but that's already cooking. How do you know this is going to be done in time for this? Mm-hmm. Or how do you know when this is going to stop or whatever? And uh, she's she doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. I have that constant panic of like, but, but, but how do you know? How do you manage that? That sounds exhausting. I prepare everything. Yeah, I know. But what what happens if you can't? This does not compute. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just shorted a circuit. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I can improvise as a performer. I don't mm-hmm. know if... Um, I mean, you know, if need be, I can... If need be, I can say, well, fuck it, and then just kind of roll along with things. I just try to avoid those. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's something I shouldn't do. Mm. And, you know, I don't know. At least as a performer, I know I shouldn't do that. I should I should embrace the fuck it energy. Sure, yeah. And roll into things. And and I found in the past when I do, like, I succeed. I succeed when I just roll into things and just spitball and let it kind of fly uh, from time to time. But, yeah. Have you considered that uh, the reason you're like that is because your life was so chaotic growing up? I bet it would contribute to that. Yeah. Dude. I bet it would. Have you saw, sat and thought about that? Or well, no. no. Uh, let me, because well, I'm trying to think, because I've had ticks like this for a very, very long time, little things, um, some of which I've, you know, I got over and all that. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if any of them were from before the age that everything blew up, which was around 13, was, you know, when the shit really hit the fan. Mazel. So I'm trying to, yeah. So <laughs> that's true. That's funny. So I'm trying to think before that, was I as particular with everything not as much but i mean i was as a kid like i was a very very neat child um Mm. i still am like i don't like getting my hands dirty not in that not in that old saying of he's afraid to get his hands dirty yeah no 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 but i will wash my hands um (laughs) i'll keep a napkin handy you know when i'm eating anything whatever i always was like that as a kid um now i'm actually so good at it that i don't even need a napkin i you could hand me a sloppy joe not a drop will be spilt Hmm. I've gotten so good at how I hold different foods and how I mm-hmm. eat them that there's never a drop on my hands. My God. I'm very cleanly. But um, in that regard. so but And that was always there. So I don't know. Is that a thing? Is that genetic? You know what I mean? Like I yeah. was like that as a little kid. So I think that's just kind of programming. Okay. I think it's just genetic. I, I wasn't taught that. My family's not like that. Um. And that was before I recall any trauma. So I think it's a mix, right? I think part of it is just that's how I'm wired, mm-hmm. similar to the high energy thing. That's how I'm wired. When I was a little kid, people thought I was going to be an auctioneer. Oh, yeah, yeah. They would always make that joke or whatever to my parents or to me. Um, and I don't even know if they were joking because I spoke so stupidly fast. Mm-hmm. And again, before, you know, any of what I remember bad happening necessarily, that was always a thing. So I think part of it's wiring, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that um, it got exacerbated by, you know, I, I, I'm sure that the, the need to control came into play after. Like the control was added on top of the cleanly, fast-tempoed child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed you like to use the word baggage rather than trauma. Are you hung oh. up on language? No, 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 no. I love language. I think it's just a matter of choosing when to use which word for what impact you want to have on an audience. Sure. Like, I'll use trauma in a conversation, but um, I think in my show, I think I open with 
the word baggage because it's funnier. It is. Um, and it has that guh. It's it's funnier, and also just it has a different aura around it. Um, it's a lot lighter. It's lighter. I don't even know if it's so much that it's lighter. I think saying baggage is saying trauma to a generation who knew how to handle their baggage. Sure, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. I feel like Gen Z loves to drag their trauma out, open the luggage of their trauma, and dump their trauma onto the bed for all to see. Yeah. And say, trauma! Yeah. Are you triggered by my trauma yet? My trauma's triggering. Mm -hmm. And sure, it is. Valid. But I think by introducing that subject in my show with the word baggage, it implies a bit of a sense of a common understanding that we all have mm -hmm. trauma, but we can live through it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think by addressing it as trauma and using words like triggered might set people up to go, ah, this is stuff that we're not going to be able to deal with because yeah. even the word trigger itself means unable. Maybe you can't deal with this trauma. Yeah. Whereas if I say baggage, it makes people go, ah, trauma we can deal with. Yeah. Something I can pick up. And whether or not, it's actually what the trauma is that makes it you can deal with it or not. I think it might be how it's packaged. Mm. If you package your trauma as baggage, people will be able to deal with it and accept that, okay, we're going to deal with this. If you package your trauma as triggering, they're going to go, ah, I'm not going to handle any of this. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. That's just my thought in this moment. No, I agree with that. And every time I've seen your show, show twice and both times. Thank you. Yeah. Both times I saw it, I'm like, ah, yes, he's purposefully saying this for that exact reason you said. So I also tend to agree with it. And per your point of like Gen Z or Zennials, hi, I'm one of those, um, is like, it's not their fault that oh, no. they're, they, because media has been asking them to share the overshare this thing. Oh, and social it's, media is like, and it's, it's a snowball effect. And it truly is uh, as someone who's like a, a little older, I'm like, this, what you're doing isn't healthy. And it's really upsetting to me, to be honest, to watch this current generation growing up in yeah. certain ways. Speaking of that last point you made, there sure. is this interesting thing. I can't remember who it was that made this point, but um, it was some podcast, but they were, they made a similar point that like there's this interesting duality with this current with the current like with Gen Z with specifically talking about traumatic things like this where you can't share anything with them because they're so they're, they're so reluctant mm -hmm. to get triggered. They don't want to get triggered. And yet they will, though, themselves openly share. Yes. All of their baggage at you, even though you didn't ask for it. Yeah. And it's and it, and it is that makes complete sense though if you keep in mind well they grew up on social media yeah it's one where way my universe is me mm -hmm. and how everyone sees me and reacts to me yeah. that's the universe mm -hmm. that's what I understand of of how people interact in the world and so it 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 makes sense that if you grew up with that of course you're going to share it all but then also be very upset if someone puts it onto you yeah or, or share something with you yeah it's interesting. I, I have immense sympathy for for anyone yeah. born after me um, because I, uh, uh, the world peaked uh, with me. So <laughs> no, but <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do have a lot of like specifically like this past election cycle when Biden didn't immediately do the things that he said he was going to do on the campaign trail mm -hmm. and Gen Z 
characters um, yeah. were really upset. I was like, oh, you, right, this is your first time dealing with a politician. I'm yeah. sorry. And also, like, things take time. You yeah. can't do everything right away. Exactly. Like, and you have he to make to get things approved by like other people. Yeah. Also, it takes time. Yeah. But um. Anywho, so you were asking uh, something else. I'm sorry. You don't need to apologize. Um, I cut. <laughs> oh my god, it's not your fault. Um, so <laughs> what? Don't do this to me. What? Not you, man. Let what led to you making the you show? Watch Goodwill Hunting after this. Yeah, I'd love to if I had time. Uh, what made me what? I'm sorry, <laughs> you were thinking about something else hyperactivity how do you manage i have a better question than the Ooh. question i like how do you manage the wait, wait give me the old question and i'll see if i can answer it really fast um what made you decide to do the show your one man show i squeezed oh. really hard oh i'll give you a quick answer basically um i had joined sag and because i was even though i was very established in the non-union world as far as a bunch of non-union casting directors knowing me um casting directors who work on non-union don't work on union and vice versa mm-hmm. it is two separate worlds and when i joined sag and became a union uh instantly work for me dried up i went mm-hmm. from having maybe four auditions a week for like years to having like one audition a month Ooh. and it was a very uh very hard thing to deal with and i was venting about this online and a director who has worked with me in the past, ironically, who worked with me on a SAG project that by doing forced me to have to join instead of, you know, it upped my status, but which is fine. I love being a member of SAG, by the way, now. It's been very good for me. Um, I love you, SAG. Um, I don't have to say that. Everyone's going to find me. Uh, yeah. They listen to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but uh, that initial blow was hard, and he reached out to me having seen, I think, a couple short films I had I had made or whatever, and said to me something I never thought. He said, you're a good writer. You should write something for yourself. And I literally was so taken aback by that. I just never thought of myself as a writer, even though mm-hmm. I've written mm-hmm. a bunch of things. I never thought of myself as a writer. I always thought of my writing as just sort of like a, well, just a means to allow me to direct something or a means to allow me to act in something. Mm-hmm. I write so that I can do these other things. And then it's like, no, 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 you, you can write. Really? Mm-hmm. And it was that that I went, well, shit, I guess now, since I have this downtime, now I should write that one-man show that I've all, honestly, for good decade, I kind of knew in my head, like, if I ever did a one-man show, I would tell this story, mm-hmm. which is going to make doing a follow-up show really difficult, because I'll be like, I don't know what the fuck to talk about. <laughs> I told my story. Um, but yeah, that was sort of what okay. initiated it. Lack of work. Lack of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that might be a reason for a lot of performers to write their own thing. I think, I think so. That's the main reason performers write their own script. But with that being said, you just said now that you'd always had it in the back of your mind. Why did you feel compelled to share that particular series of events? It honestly because it that particular series of events, I didn't have to through writing ability. I didn't have to force an arc. To the oh, story. I see. Yes, it it was. It had this natural arc to it. That yes. story did. I uh, anything about the show's flow or structure that you think well written? Nah, lucky. <laughs> Just lucky that like it happened to really follow this this arc. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I just, I always kind of knew that like that would be it because also the, where it ends was such a turning point in my life. Um, I just knew like, I knew from the beginning, that's the ending. I didn't know exactly where it would start. Mm-hmm. Should I start it 
this point in my life, at this point in my life, what am I really telling here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up having it start at much earlier in my life than I'd originally planned. The other question that I had was how do you manage the hyperactivity and the fact that your mind does so go so quickly when in conversation and having to hold down like normal jobs and that sort of thing when you're interacting with people who cannot go as quickly as you do? I'm not good at it. Okay, how? Tell me more. Oh, um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't know. I think I, I just managed to somehow be charming enough at the same time when I was younger and had to hold jobby jobs that I was able to get enough jobby jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I would meet with, you know, the manager, whomever else. Uh, I wouldn't include on my resume that I didn't graduate high school. Why? They never yeah, why did you? They never, they, they don't even call references. No. They just want to see numbers to vouch. I mean, I had references. I had people, yeah. whatever, and people who could vouch for me. But, you know, it was never difficult. You know, they'd yeah. speak to me and go, okay, <laughs> he's funny. He seems like he can handle basic, you know, what mm-hmm. he needs to do Making here a cappuccino at this restaurant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I never had problems getting a job or keeping a job. Um, but interactions, are they hard sometimes? Because of this specific it, it, reason? No, no. Um, it was, no, not not so much. Um, not so much, no. I was always able to, even if even if I'm, I'm hyper or, or fast, I was always able to keep it amusing. Um, Mm. like I can turn that on when I'm interacting like with customers or something usually. Mm. And so like when I was a waiter and so it, it actually went fairly well for me. I'm one of the few people who I, I worked at a restaurant for a couple of years, waiting tables. I really enjoyed it. Mm. I, I'm the only one I really enjoyed it. And I genuinely liked the customers. Isn't Mm -hmm. that weird? Aren't I sick? Um, no, I, I felt that way for a very long time until I got burned out of it. Um, well, yeah, and I didn't it, do it terribly long. I yeah. did it for a couple of years. That is, I, I was doing it for like five, and like, you're around year three, you're like, oh, this isn't sustainable. But also interpersonally, yeah. do you have a hard time? Like, say uh, you're trying yes, to express with, an idea, and having someone keep up. It, was, it wasn't so much ever with expressing ideas, mm. but, but if ever I was just kind of being... If I was trying to be kind of funny with a coworker, but in my own way, right? So not so much catering to what I think will make a customer laugh, which is going to be a very general kind of just like softball type humor. But if I'm a little more quirky with it, I would sometimes have coworkers who were just, you know, normal people who were 20 just be like, you're weird. Yeah. And I'm like, and I, I think I came back to them finally. And I was like, you're boring. And I just <laughs> left. Um, you talk about in the show that mm-hmm. you have a superpower, the way you describe it, is, and this is an, an oh. extreme ability to focus. Does it seem to be a call and response to be able to be focused and then like hyper-focused versus hyperactive? I don't know. I think it's just, it uses the same energy source. Okay. You know, there's a battery inside of me and it's got a lot of juice. And if I don't give it something to do, um, mm. I'm very antsy. And need I need something to do. I need to keep myself busy. Mm-hmm. Um, or I just start like drumming frantically and I don't know what to do with myself. Um, and I tend to use, I tend to turn that into create something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, usually I'm, I'm, I keep myself busy because I do a lot of editing for people. And editing is such a great job for me um, because it is something that really requires a great deal of focus and attention to detail. And, uh, and I think the attention to detail also helps because it's something that really does require energy yeah and so i can i can edit a 
very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I found uh, I don't I didn't know this until I on a couple occasions had to work with an you know another editor and I realized oh I edit very very efficiently, um, but it's great it's a great way for me to channel that mm-hmm. energy and and focus that energy. Um, but it's not a separate thing. It's not an answer to, it really is just, and now we're going to steer our energy onto this thing and this thing requires a lot of it. So I can just pour it all into this. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I do like, I like the focus that I'm able to channel, uh, Mm -hmm. when editing. It is nice. Even though if you're editing something you don't like, there's, there are a few things more mind numbing (laughs) in the world than editing things you don't enjoy. What would your biggest piece of advice for someone who is reckoning with their past baggage be? Oh, gosh. Um, Honestly, I could not be so presumptuous to give any advice there because I don't know how well I have done at reckoning with it. Um, I mean... I would only be able to speak from experience and from experience. I can't, I can't tell people, you know, write a comedy show about it. (laughs) That's not, that's not one. That's not an easy thing to do. And two, that might not even be healthy. So, (laughs) um, I don't know. You know, it's interesting that I've, I've personally come to terms with some of these things, ironically through what is really a defense mechanism, which is making a joke about it. Um, so I don't even know if that's a good thing. I I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a therapist or a psychologist. I have no idea. Um, I, you know, I will say as, as I'm, as I kind of touched on earlier by going through some of this, these memories and this material, it helped me maybe forgive or understand, even if you can't forgive, I don't know about the word forgive. I feel like it has a lot of weight attached to it. Like I can't necessarily forgive, um, you know, some members of my family for certain things they may have done to others. Um, but I can understand the situation they were in and why they maybe lost control and did the things they did. I don't know about forgive. Mm -hmm. That's a weird word for me. Um, and so I guess what I would say is, I mean, try to, if you can, if you have things or people from your past that, that hurt, maybe try to reach out and talk to them about it. Or that's hard because I haven't really quite done that, but maybe, I guess go to therapy. I guess go to therapy so (laughs) you can find a way so you can talk about it. I mean, that's what it is. It's find a way for you to talk about it. That's all it is. Because that's what I did. I, just, I found a way to talk mm-hmm. about it. By talking about it, it forces you to face it and think about it. And when you think about something that you haven't thought about in 20 years, you'll probably think about it in different ways that you didn't then because you're older now. Mm-hmm. And that might help you. So just talk about it, whether it's in therapy or not. Well, thank you for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Of course. Happy to. Hey.